A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey guys, thanks for joining me today. Today I want to expand on something we've talked about before. If you watched the Veritas 2020 video entitled Examine Yourselves, have you seen that one? You'll have heard some of this, a lot of it. But today I want to go into it in a little more detail. I want us to think about what the Bible has to say about becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ. If you happen to be watching this video and you're not really sure that God is real, or you're not really sure the Bible is His Word, or you're not really sure about Jesus, that He really rose from the dead, but you're at least interested, interested in learning the truth about these things, you may need to watch some of the other Veritas 2020 videos first. Because it just so happens that God's left plenty of evidence for people who are really looking for it, that evidence that points us to him and points us to the trustworthiness of his word. And, and I talk about some of that evidence in those videos. So that may help you if, if you need that first. But assuming here that you're willing to start with those foundational truths, I'm going to encourage you right now to listen to all four of the videos in this current series. This is the first of four. The very first thing I want to do is to emphasize and underline the fact, and this is so important, please don't miss this. Becoming a Christian is not complicated. I try to make that point again and again and again. That's why Jesus said about children, the kingdom of God is of such as these (laughs) He even said, unless you become like little children, you won't be able to enter the kingdom of God. So we don't ever want to get to thinking that the gospel is complicated. That's one of the mistakes among many, many other mistakes that the ancient Gnostic heretics made. I don't know if you remember the Gnostics or not. We've talked about some of that in in Veritas 2020. But they made things complicated. (laughs) And people today make things complicated. But listen now, don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's very simple, but listen. Through the years, the author of confusion, do you know who the author of confusion is? (laughs) I, I think you probably do. It's the devil. And the devil has managed to cause a lot of confusion about the gospel. So some people think they know what the gospel is, but they don't. Some people are confused about who Jesus really is. Some people are confused about what grace really is or what faith really is. Or they're confused about what God is like. Or they're confused about what sin is or how serious sin is. So there's several areas where Satan can sow confusion. What he does is he redefines some of these very very critical words to cause people to be confused. So, some people think they're trusting Jesus when they're really not. And some people who really are trusting Jesus are plagued with doubts about whether they're really trusting Jesus or not. In 1962, a man named Dr. D. James Kennedy, you heard of him? He's dead now. He's been dead a few years, but he was pastor at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And he came up with a method of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, and he called it Evangelism Explosion. I don't know if you heard of it or not. You may have. 
but it turned out to be a tool that many, many Baptist churches adopted as a way to effectively share the gospel, especially in the 1970s and 1980s. Very, very common. There are almost certainly, by the way, more Baptist churches that adopted the method than Presbyterian churches, even though Dr. Kennedy himself was a Presbyterian. Dr. Roy Fish, who was my professor of evangelism at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, was the first one to introduce me to EE. That was in 1970. I'd never heard of it before. And I didn't do really anything with it. I mean, you know, he introduced us to it, but, and I, I understood a little about it, but I didn't do anything with it. At the time, I was mainly sharing the gospel using a little booklet entitled, Do You Know the Four Spiritual Laws? Maybe you've used the Four Spiritual Laws. Great little booklet. Well, about five years after I completed Dr. Fish's class, I was in my pastor's office looking at the books on his bookshelves, and he happened to have a copy of the Evangelism Explosion book. And he asked me if I'd heard of it. And I said, yes, as a matter of fact, Dr. Fish told us about it in his personal evangelism class, but I've never done anything with it. And he said, I haven't either. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. He was using the Four Spiritual Law booklet just like I was. All right, fast forward a couple of more years. A couple of years after that event, three things happened within a few days of each other that caused me to begin to take EE. We call it EE. It's shorthand for evangelism explosion caused me to take EE seriously. The first one was a dream. I had a very vivid dream one night. And in that dream, it just so happened that I met and was talking with Dr. D. James Kennedy. And I woke up from that dream thinking, wow, that was vivid. But why on earth would I dream of Dr. D. James Kennedy? I mean, I knew almost nothing about him. I'd learned a little bit about him from Dr. Fish at seminary seven years earlier before the dream. But, but, so it seemed really puzzling to me that I'd dream about him. Well, a day or so after that dream, I got a telephone call from a friend who happened to be attending Southwestern Seminary at the time. And as we conversed about what he was doing, what he was learning, just out of the blue, he asked me, by the way, have you ever heard of evangelism explosion? <laughs> And I said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I have. Why do you ask? And he said, well, I just learned about it. And it seemed like a great way to share the gospel. He was very excited about it. I thought, that's interesting. It's amazing that I would have a dream about Dr. Kennedy and then so quickly have my friend bring up EE in that phone call. And then <laughs> later that same day, I was talking to my pastor again, and he said, I've been talking with a pastor friend of mine, and they're using evangelism explosion in their church, and I think it might be time for us to consider using it too. <laughs> well, well, needless to say, by that time, I was primed and ready. I was ready to launch a study of EE. I was going to get into it. So over the next few days and weeks and months, and actually it finally turned into years, I made it my business to thoroughly learn this method of sharing the gospel, EE. And eventually, by the way, I became certified as an EE teacher trainer. That's what they called us. It simply meant that the EE organization there in Fort Lauderdale gave me the go-ahead to teach EE courses and train Christians in the use of the EE material. And in the years since then, I've used that material, that evangelism explosion material I'm going to share with you in these videos, 
many, many times to share the gospel. And I've seen many, many people put their faith in Jesus Christ after hearing the gospel shared this way. It's not the only way to share the gospel. There are many wonderful ways to share the gospel, but it's just a plan and an organization that can help people understand the gospel. It's really good. The EE people, the organization, offered a strategy that many, many churches in those days used very commonly, and we used it a lot, and it would usually work something like this. There'd be one person in a local church who had studied the EE material, knew how to use EE, and that person would prayerfully select two other people, usually two Christian friends of his or her, and then they would discuss the program and discuss the commitment with them. If they agreed, they'd begin to meet once, once a week, every week, to learn the material, to memorize the stuff in the material, and, and learn how to use it, learn how to practically apply it. The entire program took about four months for these three people to work through, 17 weeks of study. And there was an extensive outline of the gospel. Each team, each team member would have to memorize and recite that outline. And they learned it little by little over the 17 weeks. There were, of course, Bible passages that had to be memorized and recited week by week. And we'd recite these things to each other. And there were illustrations and transitions that had to be memorized week by week. And again, we'd recite these things to each other to make sure we were memorizing them well. And then every single week, almost every single week after a, a session of study and reciting, the team of three would go out to look for opportunities to actually share the gospel with others. Most of the time, many times anyway, these were people that we had appointments with who had visited the church maybe in preceding weeks and signed a visitor's card. Sometimes we'd just go out knocking on doors, though. In those days, that was more common in our neighborhoods, or maybe go to local parks looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And as time went on, the trainer who was training these two trainees would start giving them opportunities to share parts of the gospel also. So they would share in the conversation. And of course, at the end of the four months, ideally, each of the two trainees would be well equipped so they could select two more trainees and the cycle would begin all over again. Only this time, instead of three people, there would be nine people. Each of the original three had two more people that they would select to be team members. So there'd be nine in all. You see how that would work. Now, I need to say and admit, I guess, as, as the years went by, I began to see what I believe are some minor flaws in the original way we use the material. So I have made a few adjustments through the years to the way we share the gospel in the early days. So what I'm going to share with you today may be slightly different, but not much. If you studied EE in the past, you'll certainly recognize it. You may not even recognize any changes. But it just turns out to be a great way for a lot of people to get a better handle on the essence of the gospel by memorizing an outline, memorizing some key scriptures, memorizing some helpful illustrations and some transitions that can help people understand these things more clearly. So what I'm going to do in these four videos is take some time to give you the essence of this method of sharing the gospel. So again, what I share may vary a little bit from the original presentation, but it'll be very close. And I have two thoughts in mind as I put these videos together. One is I want to make sure you yourself, I don't know who you are, of course, but whoever you are watching this video right now, I want to make sure that you have a good personal understanding of the gospel for your own spiritual well-being.
I want to help you make sure that you are a true Christian. And maybe if you're having doubts about your relationship to God, maybe this will help clear them up too. And then I want to give you some things that, now listen, if you'll be self-disciplined, you know on that list of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's the last thing on the list. Very important in the Christian life. If you'll be self-disciplined and make the time, take the time, give the energy to learn what I'm sharing with you here, this can help you share the gospel with other people. God's going to be bringing people into your life all the time. And it would be really good if you could use some of this material to share with them so that they too might come to know Jesus. I probably ought to say this up front too. By the time we finish going through all the points in the outline and all the scriptures, all the illustrations, you're going to realize there's a lot more here than you're ever likely to share at any one time. It's just kind of overwhelming almost. But if you learn these things, you're giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to bring to mind what you need to share in any given situation. One of the powerful things about EE is its flexibility. Because it gives you a tool, you can use it to share the gospel probably in about five minutes if you're in a time-constrained situation. Or if time's not an issue, you could talk about these things for an hour or, or more pretty easily. There's plenty of material here. EE starts with two diagnostic questions. These two questions are designed to help people evaluate where they are spiritually. The first question is, have you come to the place in your personal spiritual life where you know for certain that you have eternal life. In other words, where you know for certain that you'll go to heaven when you die. That's the first question. Now listen, guys. If you're serious about letting this video help you in your own personal spiritual growth, I'm going to be doing this from time to time. I would really encourage you to pause the video. When I, when I share something new like that, pause the video and think about it. In fact, right now, I'd like you to think about three things. Number one, can you repeat that question yourself without looking at it? Can you, can you repeat it? Secondly, how would you answer that question yourself? If someone were to ask you that question, have you come to the place in your personal spiritual life where you know for certain that you have eternal life? And then thirdly, I just want you to think about this for a minute before you go on. How do you think other people might tend to answer that question. What would you expect to get by way of answers? So maybe some time to think about that a little bit. Okay, hit pause. Okay, we're back. <laughs> I think the most common answer that I've heard to that question is, well, I hope so. <laughs> now, some people will say yes, and some people will say no. And some people will say, I don't think anybody can really know that. And a few people will actually say, I know I wouldn't go to heaven. I'd go straight to hell. I've heard people say that. Anyway, if the answer happens to be anything but a good, clear yes, this might be a good place to say, well, you know what? I was hoping I might have some good news to share with you today. And I may have the best news you've ever heard. Because the Bible says there is a way we can know for certain that we have eternal life. We can actually know for certain that we're going to go to heaven when we die. There's a book in the Bible called 1 John. And in 1 John, the Bible says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know. So would it be okay if I took a little bit of time just to tell you 
how I came to the place in my spiritual life where I know for certain that I have eternal life. And as far as that goes, how you or anybody else can too. Would that be okay? And if they give you permission to continue on, uh, we usually say something like, great, I appreciate that. I, I love to talk about these things. To me, it's the most exciting and important subject in the whole world. But before I go on, before I share it, I'd like to ask you one more question. It just helps me understand where you are spiritually. Is that okay? And again, if they give permission, you proceed to what's called the second diagnostic question. Now, if they answered a definite yes to the first question, you can say, great, do you mind if I ask you another question? And if they say, sure, go ahead. And if they give you permission to proceed, you ask the second question. And it is this. Let's suppose you were to die and you suddenly found yourself standing before God. And God would ask you, why should I let you come into my heaven? What would you say to God? Now, again, guys, I would encourage you, pause the video, think about the same three things. Number one, can you repeat that question yourself? Can you ask it? And secondly, how would you personally answer that question yourself if someone asked you the question? And third, how do you think other people might answer it? Here it is again. Suppose you were to die and find yourself standing before God and God would ask you, why should I let you come into my heaven? What would you say to God? Okay. Hit pause. Okay, we're back. <laughs> I think the most common answer I've gotten through the years to that question is, I don't know. I've never thought much about that. <laughs> Some will say, I don't think God would ask me that question. Many, many people say something like this. Well, I'm just doing the best I can. Or maybe, I think I've been a pretty good person. And there's some who will say, thankfully, <laughs> they say, well, I just say I'm trusting Jesus. Jesus died to pay for my sins. I've received Jesus into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. Now, of course, they can say those words without really meaning it, but it's encouraging, isn't it, when we hear the right answer? <laughs> Probably the easiest answer for most people, and like I said, the most common answer I get when I ask the question is, I don't know. Now, if their question is, I don't know, I think it's probably a good idea to at least try to get them to think about it a little bit more because it's too easy to say, I don't know what, you know, you tell me. But, but we want to try to let them do a little self-examination. So often I will say, I know you haven't written a theological paper on it or anything like that, but just off the top of your head, what do you think you might say? And just wait for a minute. If they, if they still say, I don't know, and a lot of people do, you might say, I'll tell you what, let me take the spotlight off you for a minute. Just based on what you've heard in church, if you've been to church some, or, or, or based on any reading you might have done, maybe in the Bible or something you've heard other people say, what, what would you say the general requirements are for anybody to get into heaven? And a lot of people will begin to at least try to give an answer at that point. Some might say things like, well, you got to go to church. Or some might say, well, you need to be a good person. Or some people might say, I think you got to get baptized. You know, those kinds of things. But sometimes, even at this point, they'll say, I just don't know. I don't have any idea. And, and I have said to them before, and you might want to use this sometimes. This depends on the situation, but you could say something like, so, so if God asked you that question, you really just wouldn't have an answer, would you? But you know, it's a pretty serious question when you think about it. 
you know, the death statistics are the same as they've always been. One out of every one of us dies. <laughs> so it does seem important, don't you think, to know what we're basing our hopes on of getting into heaven? You know, Jesus told a parable once of a man who had gotten into a wedding feast without the appropriate wedding garments. And the king asked the man, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And Jesus said the man was speechless. He just didn't have an answer. He didn't know. And, and the Bible says the outcome was not good. He was thrown into outer darkness. So sometimes I share that little illustration. Sometimes I just say, well, I tell you what, I'd love to share what my answer to that question would be. Would that be okay? And if they give permission, usually they do, I would begin to share the outline of the gospel. So these two diagnostic questions can help us and actually help the people we're talking with too to understand where they are in their spiritual lives. That's why they're called diagnostic questions. They help diagnose where they are spiritually. So maybe they're unsaved. Maybe they know they're unsaved. Or maybe they're assuming they're Christians when they really aren't. Or maybe they really are Christians, but they just need some assurance. Uh, they're insecure in their relationship with Christ. You know, it, you, you can learn by asking those two questions and thinking about their answers. So if people said no to the first question, no, I don't know for certain that I have eternal life. But then when they answer the second question, this, they make clear they're trusting Jesus. Then these kind of people are Christians who need maybe just to be given assurance. They, they just lack assurance of their salvation. If they answer yes to the first question, they seem confident they're going to go to heaven. But then they give a works kind of answer to the second question. They may have a false kind of assurance. They may think they're Christians when they're really not Christians at all. Now, let me just add a word of caution about these two questions. They are designed to help people evaluate themselves spiritually and to help us see where they are spiritually. And I think everybody needs to be confronted with these kind of questions. I really do believe it's important. We need to be, have to examine ourselves. You know, I've got a, got a Veritas video on that one, which is parallel to this, this what we're talking about today. But many people tend to be in denial about their own future death. They don't want to think about it. <laughs> And some people will take offense. Uh, to some people, it may feel like to them that we're just trying to trap them. You know what I mean? Like they, they see these questions as kind of gotcha questions. And I want to urge you, if, if you're going to ask these questions, try to be really sensitive to that. We're not trying to trap people, guys. We're not trying to trick people in any way, just so we can share the gospel and write a number down. You know, that's not the point here. So we want to be alert to signs that people may be thinking that and getting irritated. You know, there, there's a time to just back off. When the Holy Spirit's working, he's usually pretty clear about it. You know, we can tell when people are being receptive. So don't feel like you have to plunge ahead at any cost. If you sense some resentment and irritation, Sometimes it's better to back away and just pray for a while. You know what I'm saying? Be wise. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in this. Anyway, if their answer to the second question shows that for any reason it might be good for them to hear the gospel, it's good to ask permission if we can share it with them. So again, you might say something like, you know, when we started talking about these things, like I said earlier, I hoped I might have some good news. I'm convinced I've got maybe the best news you've ever heard, if it's okay for me to go ahead and share it with you. And if they say, okay, we begin to share an outline of the gospel. Now, I want to keep these videos in a manageable length. So I know we're just going to have to stop at weird places here, but I'm going to stop right here and we'll pick it up here next time. Okay, let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for the individual that's watching this video right now. I don't know how they've answered the two questions. I don't know if they've stopped to try to internalize this and learn how to ask the questions themselves. But I pray you'd help them if they've never trusted Jesus, that maybe very, very soon they will. And if they have trusted Jesus, but they've not learned yet how to share the gospel very well, I pray again that soon they will begin to get equipped to share these things really effectively. Thank you for E.E. Thank you for James Kennedy and the way you used him to put this together. And thank you for all the churches that have used it. Thank you for the many, many people who've come into your kingdom using this method of sharing the gospel. So I pray you just help us to stay teachable and use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.